get it. Never ever gonna get it. Oh, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. Oh, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. You join us today flying over the caves of Lombrive in France in our private helicopter where the Cathars were rounded up and killed by Simon de Montfort's soldiers in 1228 by the decree of Pope Not-So-Innocent III. We'll be talking about the early Gnostic beliefs of the Christian sects that were known to be Gnostic heretics, a loose group of people who held different, sometimes opposing beliefs to what became the dominant Christian Roman Orthodoxy. And then, following the strands of these beliefs a thousand years later, into France, where the Cathars were also violently oppressed. These early Gnostics believed that the world as we see it, that matter itself, was evil. The creation of a demiurge, or god with a small g, who created the universe. The demiurge, as a sub-creation of an aspect of the godhead, locked off from us from the true god, by incarnating our souls in these fleshy prisons and the dust and mud that Adam and Eve were created out of. But through Gnosis, through becoming free of these fleshy cages, the soul could become one with God beyond the Demiurge's realm. Through various practices and initiations that were passed down secretly through various followers of Christ, they argue, we could escape mundane evil reality turn away from all of this and return to the metaphysical reality that is our true home. Now, many religions sort of believe something similar and hold dualistic beliefs where there is a separation between mundane reality and true reality, between matter and spirit, between mind and body, good and evil even. So why were the Gnostics so different? And why did they invoke the wrath of the Catholic Orthodoxy that was building its empire and trying to sustain its grip on the Holy Land, Europe and beyond? Since the discovery of the Nag Hammadi Library in Egypt in 1945, there's been interest in these early Christian sects and Gnostics. But this mixed bag of texts do not make it easy for us to figure out what they believed and who believed what. And who the different sects were. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very much mixed together. They don't really, usually in these kind of situations, you know what it's like, people, pe the kind of dominant powers kind of name the people that they're trying to dominate. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think it can occur, oh, even like even within art history, like the Impressionists, you know what I mean? That wasn't like a, a title that they took on, mm -hmm. you know? It was kind of, titles like that are usually... Uh, applied to people by folk that didn't like the folk that they're talking about type thing. Yeah, it's like you're labelling the other in order to kind of identify it as the other. Aye. So the idea... Oh, dog, dog noise. He's, he's probably seen a dog outside. We are now <laughs> actually in my, my new apartment, hence the, the, the kind of big um, hiatus in our delivery of these um, missives. But uh, in, in a, a home, I never told you what I'm going to call it. Dark no. Towers. Dark Towers? <laughs> it's got to be. That's like a bit like, it's made me think of Dark Shadows. Right. Like, you know, the, the TV show from like the 60s. Oh, yeah, I think so. Dark Shadows. You'd love that. Oh, fuck, I'll need to, I'll Google it. You'd love it. So Dark Shadows. Um, yeah, I don't know. Dark Towers, why? There was a TV programme, remember when, you're too young, obviously, but when they, they used to wheel in the telly on this kind of big 
like machine with wheels on it at primary oh, school. Oh yeah, no, I that? do. Yes, of course. Yeah. And if you were if you were lucky, you'd be the people that got to do it, mm-hmm. and they would wheel it in. And, we, and I think it was like some their version of multimedia learning. Just shove him down if he's playing. And and so they would and there was a they would kind of they were trying to teach you how to spell and count and everything, but they would intersperse it with these really fucking. I suppose we would think of it as um, folk horror, right? Amazing. These kind of wee bits of kind of film. Oh, is it like kind of public information films? No, but it had that vibe, right? Right, okay. So, and it would be, and one of these things was called Dark Towers. And it was just kind of, I mean, it was a, my sister got that. We, I, I was a, a year younger than her, so we got the next thing. We got things like The Boy From Space, right? And it was on a programme that had that guy, Wordy. So you won't, no. you'll never remember that. It was this kind of flo- floating microphone head. Right. right, that had letters and everything all stuck on it, and used to zoom about, try to try to teach kids how to fucking spell. And is that and so the like teacher that. could fuck off for a fag or something? I think it was fag break time. Yeah. And you were told to be very quiet. All the lights were out, and or, you know, put kids in front of a telly, and they're not going to fucking move. Yeah. So Dark Towers was um, one of these one of these things, and it was just like. What was scary. the educational aspect of Dark Towers? Terrifying fucking children. Good. I mean, all the good stuff, but mm-hmm. it was like, these women with really bad wigs and kind of like um, long tweedy skirts scaring children. Like Fenella Fielding, basically. Kind of. Almost scarier than her. Like, almost <laughs> like, almost like a, a primary seven head teacher or something. You know, oh, or, right, or, or okay. head teacher or head teacher. But really kind of like thick tights and kind of mm. um, kind of clunky, clunky mules. I wonder... If it's on YouTube, Dark actually, I googled it. and I couldn't see it. it was some pish to Are do you sure you had Stephen King made it up? Maybe no. There's. A, I think I should put in TV series or something yeah. like that, and it'll appear. Do you know I what we'll do? Cat. What we'll do, Alex, is we will look it up. We will find it, and I will include a link to it in the show notes. Hopefully, some of our listeners, including my my sister, absolutely loved it. Right. Uh, but it was, just, it was really fucking creepy. Even the boy from space thing was creepy. Oh. It was this kind of like albino boy with, with an albino family. Well, all albinos are from space. <laughs> well, apparently. <laughs> it's the drop in atmosphere that forces their skin and hair to become translucent. <laughs> but they would be wearing these kind of like silver, I think silvery blue jumpsuits and they couldn't speak. Did the beep? Did they make a beeping noise? But they just they just kind of walked about a village, to, like somewhere in the fucking like south of England. Cotswolds or something. Aye, terror, it was total folk horror. Kind of. Wow. Really, I mean, children of the stones kind the, of vibe. Yeah, and oh, all that kind of thing. Green Noah. Right, I don't know that actually. That, but this was This was all that kind of scared the children vibe, but slotted into this program where you were supposed to learn how to put an ing. On the end, end, ends of words like wank. Wank, ing. Yeah. Yes. Wow, okay, we need to locate that. Also, if there's any similarly aged <laughs> listeners to this show who this is really like a blast from the past for them and it's, you know, they, they remember exactly what you're talking about and prove that you're not actually just, just having a fever dream. It could be. Um, do get in touch with us. I think I, there was a, my sister even used to know the, the, the song. God, it really must just have been. It was do really... you know if I find the song, I'll put it on the end right. of the episode. Perfect. We'll do that. We'll do that. So weird tangent from talking about the Gnostics, sort of related because Gnostics are the original kind of religious hermits and recluses, mm-hmm. and you have now moved into a new 
hermetically sealed environment mm-hmm. where I, I was saying that to my nephew um, the other day. Hi, Gary, because I know you listen. Um, I was like, this is pretty much my library, mm-hmm. the, the living room that we're in, and my, my bedroom. So oh, it's like an, it's a monk's cell. All, all that you kind of need is these kind of two wee areas mm-hmm. and the shutters that I can shut the whole world off and just become the true fucking hermit that I am. So we cloister, yes. isn't it? Read all my um, heretical texts and have fuck all to do with anybody. We shall we get back to the Gnostics? Yes. Where are we? <laughs> I, well, we're talking about the Nag Hammadi library, the, the, the scrolls Maybe this found. is your Nag Hammadi library. Well, I realised when I looked at it, every book or every second book would get me burned. I'm looking at them now, yeah. yeah. I would either get put up against the wall and shot or, or burnt on a, um, a pile of broken chairs. It's like um, gay shit, gay shit, spooky shit, gay things, spooky things. Uh, um, Deconstructive things, complicated things. Clever hangs, gay hangs, spooky hangs. Aye, hangs. Aye. That's me and that's nice, a, isn't it? In a nutshell. Aye. Yes, right. so the Nakamati when they were found in 1945, so all those kind of texts, it was really pretty much all the texts that were left out, The or not them all, but like a big, big load of a lot of texts that were not included in the, the um, New Testament. So right. there were kind of okay. loads of things that just kind of, they found not to be... Um, maybe contradictory beliefs, particularly these ones that were talking, the Gnostic ones were were um, scrolls that had be- um, beliefs that kind of contradicted the official line of the, the Christian orthodoxy in Rome. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they must have tried, I mean, there's, there's there are um, Gnostic texts about the place, um, some, there's some kind of, the, 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 there's more copies than others. There's ones that there's not very many copies, or just fragments. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the Mary Magdalene Gospel, there's only fragments. There's a, a couple like that. Okay. Uh, and they're all, the ones that were left out are pretty much ones that leave out anything kind of magical, right? Uh-huh. So anything to do with charms or anything to do with maybe kind of pract- certain magical practices. I mean, the term magic's very loose, right? But certain... Practices that, that, that were kind of secret or sometimes known that would give the common person kind of access to the beyond, really. That's what it is, because it's about um, preserving this idea of a hierarchy mm-hmm. um, in terms of the layman yeah. or woman not having direct access to the divine yes. because you have to go through the conduit of a priest or the church or mm-hmm. a holy person, mm-hmm. a middleman, mm-hmm. right? So these, these scrolls, the Nag Hammadi scrolls, are kind of giving people the idea that they can be empowered to commune with the divine yeah. themselves yeah. directly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's like the, the reason that this fits in well with the theme of our podcast is because it really, a, a lot of these were about, or became spe- kind of later on, um, kind of ideas and texts that um, lone magicians or mystics would be interested in, mm-hmm. that were working on their own and developing their own access to the beyond, turning away from the world and uh, working with the beyond themselves very, very directly. So it's at the foundation of a lot of the kind of hermetic um, traditions in the West, mm-hmm. you know, these kind of ideas. Still kept very secret, you mm-hmm. know. Kind of pe- people never had. Um, there was not given. Every, every everybody was not given access. They say. I mean, it's like when you talk about. Um, there's there's kind of everyday religion, right? But there's mystical Christianity as well. Mm. You know, which is much more. It's 
sometimes harder to divine, uh, um, divine, I'm thinking of St John the Divine or whatever he's called, one of them, right? So the, these kind of Christian mystics that the church always has trouble with, you know, because they're putting forward, sometimes like Joan of Arc or whatever, the folk that were martyred because of it by the church mm -hmm. and later have become, to become accepted as mystics, you know. Mm -hmm. The mystic always has that kind of oddball outsider relationship with the church. They're not widely accepted. Usually after their death, sometimes when they're safer. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, yeah, because they have too much power and too much influence. Well, they've got that charismatic kind of thing. Folk yeah. want that. You know, folk are attracted to it. And it's some, they're, they're sometimes their ideas are at odds with the wealth and power of the church, as we shall see mm -hmm. with with um, some of the Gnostics that we're looking at. So they're, they're seen as the enemy quite a lot, you know? Even if it's just a purely political yeah. kind of thing. To, to still keep power. So let's start with the term Gnosis. Yes, so Gnosis, it's spelt G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, right? So where does that come from? What does it mean? Um, I shall just ret return to my notes for a little second. <laughs> it comes from the Greek uh -huh. and means knowledge and is usually used to refer to a superior spiritual state. So it's something that you can Attain. You attain. You attain, you you access Gnosis. A mystical state of realisation that's quite interestingly beyond reason. And I'm wondering if there's any Protestant Gnostics. Eh, no Gnostics, Pro Protestant eh, mystics. Protestant mystics? That's worth a Google. Oh, we'll have to look that up. Because that, that, I mean, if you think of the Enlightenment and Protestantism coming in with ideas of reason and uh -huh. that, right? And access, and really how the, the explanations of God being... Uh, ones that you could explain through logic and reason. Yeah. Right? Which is a kind of aspect of... Pro a, a, well, yeah, an aspect of Protestantism rather than belief and the aura of objects and Blind all that. faith. Yeah, and therefore uh -huh. um, that kind of mystical thing. So I wonder, I bet there's not. I would be surprised, I think... Catholics seem to love it, don't they? Catholics seem to have the monopoly on things that are... Cooker. Mystical and mysterious, and that's often what Protestants will make fun of us for. Well, I suppose that's that's why, um, even within the Church of England, when they, which is pretty much the high cat, I mean, the high church is pretty much Catholic. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Other than a couple of wee things, but they even changed some of their things. Where, I mean, they were questioning like the mysteries that that you get taught within Catholicism, like the Virgin Birth. And yeah. even the mystery of the mass and all that—the idea that well, like transubstantiation, where they uh -huh. just said that it's more of a kind of symbolic thing. Yeah, I suppose that kind of Protestantism is Catholicism without the mystery. Eh? Can I say to you, right? Because we both grew up Catholic, yeah. didn't we? Right. So we both went to mass mm -hmm. as children, and you know, you saw the whole the transubstantiation, the 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 sacrament of communion, all that. Did you genuinely? believe when you were witnessing that and when you were partaking of it did you genuinely genuinely believe that you were taking in the body and the blood of Christ at any point did you think that you were cannibalizing Christ weirdly both yes and no right I kind of knew that I was supposed to so that's the big yes right mm -hmm. so there's that kind of expectation and that even though you didn't believe that you were to act as if you did type thing so that was kind of yes and no for me we get, did, did they do this thing where, I don't even know if they do it so much now, but when the transubstantiation happened, 
you weren't supposed to look at what was going on on, on the altar. You had to kind of avert your eyes. It was as if you had to look away from the magic. Oh, no. You know when the bell goes, when the lift Yeah, off, yeah. We kind of had to kind of bow our head, I'm sure, so you... Oh, I had my eyes completely transfixed. Nobody told me not to, though. We, I think we, I think that's the old way. I think see on all these wee villages out in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. They're still doing. They would still be doing all that type of thing. You know, you bowed when you said Christ and all that. Did you do that? No. God, I need to properly teach you how to be a car. Even though I renounced it many, many, many years ago. You bow when you say Christ. Aye, in the mass. Oh God, no. Or is it just in the creed? I can't remember. But yeah, we got taught, taught a really, really quite an old-fashioned kind of way of it. They loved all that. There were still women going with, with um, veils on and stuff. No, I like that. Because it's a good look. It's a good look. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, but no, that's really, really interesting. So that, that thing about uh, believing whether it was... What I think it is, well, I, I, that's why I'm always fascinated by it. I see it as a... I still see it as uh, it's not got any power any longer, but it's pretty much a, you're just watching a magical rite. It's a magical ceremony. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's a total formula in order to make the god appear on on the kind of altar and then ingest them. I don't know. If, I mean, it's I suppose within many traditions they would say that that current is now over. You know, mm. that kind of worshiping the kind of dead god thing is kind of over. I didn't see any power. In any of the, I mean, I love it. I watch all of that shit. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. fascinated by it, but I'm fascinated by it as a kind of cultural relic. Yeah, I think I feel the same because I never once thought that that is now the body and the blood of Christ. I mm-hmm. knew it was a wafer, and I knew it was like a very watered down kind of sherry. Um, but I knew that that was what it's supposed to represent. I was just fascinated by the, the ritual of Aye. it. I love ritual. I was watching that bloody King's Coronation thing. I watched two hours of it and it was simultaneously really fucking tedious mm-hmm. because it went on for so long. But it was fascinating in a way because of all of the symbolism yeah. and all of the just the fucking shenanigans, yeah, you that's know? That's the thing that I think uh, you get taught in a kind of old school kind of Catholic upbringing. You get taught a lot about symbolism. You know what I mean? Do you mm. not think so? And do you not think like that in some way that might have contributed to why we have grown up to be so interested in in symbol yeah, I mean, and their meaning? And anything that I've written about, I've always been really kind of interested in a kind of deconstructive way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the history of iconology, like the yeah. history of the use of signs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And how they're used in certain contexts. So it's, it's definitely there. I mean, you're brought up to kind of taught everything's symbolic, eh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So watching it, I, I was the same, I watched it as well, because, I, I mean, that's, again, it's the high church, really, where you're seeing all that kind of going on. So you're seeing, there's definite overlaps with kind of um, all the stuff that we know as kids, that we were brought up with, with their, the, the robes and the, I didn't see any incense, actually, was there? No, I didn't see incense. Possibly, yeah, but there was all of the anointing noise when they put him behind that big screen. I love that bit. What was happening in there? I think um Was he just taking his kit off? They're supposed to I think they anoint your heart. Or it your was chest the breast, aha, uh-huh, hey. so maybe they didn't want the public to see his, his moves. Um my pal uh, Connell sent me a, a um, photo. So I think it was in Marie Claire or something like about ten years ago, of him in the buff. Uh, of Prince Charles topless. A topless one. And he loves, he loves quite, he loves an aged bear, does Connell. Connell, right. So and do I. Did you, well, 
I quite and I like it. I, I do. Grey chest hair. There's nothing better. Grey arm and back hair. Yes. Silverback gorilla, babe. That's what I'm about. I don't know if I've encountered it. I think if I have, it's been in in the middle of the night. So there's been da darkness as Under falling. the cloak of darkness. Aye, so I've maybe just felt it. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen it. I think you really need to confront it. Have I a good rummage in it? Uh-huh. I bet it's got to be coming to fucking me soon. It's all over my beard, hence me. Eros and Thanatos, isn't it? All over so my it's face. all about, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall we get back to our Gnostics? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a wee catch-up, but isn't it? Uh, yes, so we were talking about the term Gnostics, right? It's difficult to pin down exactly who the Gnostics were, as we said. Uh, as they were hunted down and destroyed, including their texts, and we only know them through their enemies and the writings of their enemies quite a lot of the time, right? Okay. So it's but they've really stamped these people out. But since the Nagamadi texts were found, what was it, 1945, we can form a better idea of, of their beliefs and who they were, etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, and look for this, the, the idea of Gnosticism, or the ideas of Gnosticism, or even the term within their text. We can say they emerge as an early form of Christianity, mm -hmm. really. Although there's, there's, there is, are arguments that there are Gnostic beliefs within even uh, like other older, I think, within Zoroastrian yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. But anyway, but this was definitely a great big chunk of all, all of those ideas coming together in the Middle East. And it was still obviously a kind of hotbed of, of these ideas. So I, so in that sense, we read history backwards, right? And we see they were not, at that time, a separate or heretical form of orthodoxy. But the orthodoxy uh -huh. emerged out of them. Right, right? okay. Uh, so orthodoxy is something that gets... Made, when it when it emerges, it starts rewriting history. Yeah, because it's like history is, is written by the victors, and isn't it? So so all of a sudden you decide what's in and what's out and you just distance yourself as, as, as much as possible for anything that you don't think is, is a kind of fit or, or goes along with your ideas. Now, so early writers such as Athanasius started setting a canon of texts that he said were, were the, the, the orthodox Christian texts and some texts were um, cast out so that he could present a uniformed, a unified idea of Christianity. This meant that competitors could be otherwise, you could say, they're not us, we uh -huh. can attack them, they've got nothing to do with us, and their philosophies and beliefs and practices could be anathematised. So you can just say, they're the weirdos, we're the folk where it all makes sense, we're in control, uh, follow us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and it stopped, that, that, that kind of process of making a canon, making a kind of fixed group of texts, stops the writing of new Gospels. But that's, again, enforcing a hierarchy, yeah, isn't it? because remember, I mean, I didn't really get taught this at, at, at um, Catholic primary school either, but, like, the idea that... Remember, the Gospels, some of them, if not ha half of them, weren't they written by the apostles that were Christ's contemporaries? Mm -hmm. They were written two or three hundred years after it. Just by some other random cunts. Okay. Yeah. That, especially one of them. I don't even know if, I talk, if we'll be talking about him here. But there was one of them that was that actually persecuted Christians, like killed them, mm -hmm. and then had a road to Damascus type thing. Do you like that wee bi biblical kind of? I like that. Yeah. Like. Mm -hmm. But had, aye, and, and he, became, you know, they always become the biggest cunts, the ones that kind of like are are um, what do you call that that have had this kind of revolutionary experience you know that everyone else is like yeah we knew we that it. we've done it all along uh -huh. us, you're late to the party uh -huh. I it was about 300 years after he had died you know so it's like so I think this was part of the, the, the kind of problem it's like and now we stop mm -hmm. so this 
canonization, making a, a kind of canon out of certain texts, removing others, keeping certain ones, as that trying to amalgamate power and saying there's no more, no, no more end profits coming, no more. They're hashtag gatekeeping. Mm, They're hashtag gatekeeping okay. Christianity. Yeah. But uh, uh, it obviously seemed to work, you know. So these, you've got these scrolls, these texts that, that, that kind of emerge then, and I mean, they, they just go against the, the kind of beliefs of the time. I mean, it's, and it's, it came, I mean, that 1945 discovery really came to the forefront of, uh, like, popular um, culture. Folk were really I was going to ask it. about that. I was going to ask, so when these, these texts, these scrolls were discovered in 1945, what kind of a cultural impact did that have? Well, I think they, had, they already had interpreted uh, and translated, sorry, some of them, because they had been known for elsewhere that, like, there was this, the, the kind of, I think they were, yeah, so they were on papyrus, they were on paper mm. within storage jars, but they're not found by like a shepherd or something. Oh, I've no idea. Oh, you don't know, right. I, no, see, there was a, there must have been a big translation released in the 80s or something, because mm-hmm. I remember becoming really, really aware of it in, in the 80s. So in the 80s, there seemed to be a lot of TV programmes about it. Really? Aye, so I don't know if there had been a big kind of new translation or... Maybe they had been preserving them for 30, 40 years. You know what I mean? Some big preservation thing. I think there was a lot of them. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of work. So it was begin- a lot of them were being interpreted and beginning to come out. So there was like, all of a sudden, you hear about, th- like as I mentioned, things like the Gospel of Mag- the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of oh. Magdalene and all that. So it was like all these names that are the scary names. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, it's like, oh, I want to read those aye. ones. So there were probably, maybe that's when they were releasing the sexy ones. Yeah. You know, the ones that kind of buy the bad the baddies or mm-hmm. folk that were kind of characterised as the baddies in the Bible uh, or through, not in the Bible, but through uh, Catholicism. Aye, so there was loads of programmes like that, but a beast, unless we just were made to watch them. But there was things about like debunking the Shroud of Turin. Aye. Turin, Turin yeah. Shroud, mm-hmm. And all that thing. Did you just know, can you not remember that? You're much, much younger than I. I was only born in the late 80s and resided in Spain when I was little, oh, so yeah. we did not have access to the same shit. Didn't have tellies. Didn't have tellies there. <laughs> no electricity. Too busy sunbathing and fucking drinking <laughs> sangria and having siestas and that. Yes, I wasn't watching me Nag Hammadi programs. I think I was a little nut job as well. Like I loved all that. Well, you definitely shit. were a wee nut job. I know was. that. There's a podcast I listen to and one of the first questions is, were, were you an odd child? And I'm like, fucking hell. And if the answer's no, I, I don't want to speak to you. I don't want you. anything to do with you. The conversation ends here. Who would be the person that would say no? I was just No, I was really normal. I was really popular at school. I think, well, I think, I generally think all Wayne's are fucking crazy and weird anyway. Mm. You know, let your freak flag fly. Exactly. You want crazy children, I think. And if you're lucky, you'll remain crazy into all adulthood. Well, You've got to keep that kind of curiosity. You know what I mean? A bored and boring, not not very curious fucking adults. Just, like, get them away from me. That is the, the thing that I don't understand and the thing that I'm most repelled by in terms of people's personality traits and behaviours. People who are not curious, mm-hmm. kill yourselves. <laughs> well, there's that, you know, Adam Phillips, the, the psychoanalyst... Whose book I am still reading, The Beast well, in the Nursery. Oh, speak yeah. about it. Because that's what that book is yeah. all about, the isn't cu- it? Curiosity, it's the cure for a lot of things, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, well, definitely for depression. And it just keep, to keep yourself out in the world and interested in it, rather than kind of hidden away. Think that you've got it all solved and not to be interested. That's the thing. But, I mean, as somebody who has 
suffered from depression mm-hmm. for all of my not even adult life but as a child as yeah, well yeah. i mean you you're the same oh, you yeah, know, yeah. we're all the I same mean, I, but I just thought i just thought that was my my, pers- my I personality i just thought it was my person i thought I a melancholic personality because as a child as an odd child mm-hmm. i was interested in reading about the the four humors yeah oh yeah and you know like bile and mm-hmm. cholera and all those things mm-hmm. not cholera as in What's the disease called? um but then it was an excess of bile, choleric, someone of a choleric disposition or a sanguinous or something. And I think it was an excess of black bile creates a melancholy temperament or something like that. So as an eight year old or something, I was sitting there reading this convinced that I needed to be bled bled or had some (laughs) leeches applied and then I would be able to go out and play with all the other children. Or or, or a hole drilled in your head. Trepanning. Yes, I'm still waiting to be trepanned. But we were weird though. I mean, we We, were in illness. What's that? But then that's that's curiosity. That's Uh, curiosity. And what I was going to get to mm -hmm. was that, you know, the idea of um, depression is when you cease to be curious, yeah. right? Now, I don't doubt that I have been depressed. I'm not depressed right now this second, mm-hmm. but even at my most depressed, I've never not had curiosity. That's good. I mean, I, but then if you, th- I think the extreme version, right, is when you, when you say there's a kind of reduction in appetites, right? So all appetites, so everything for kind of like sex, food, uh, interest in the world, anything that keeps you interested in an external reality. A your kind of libido. Yes, libidinal. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't keep interested. I, I want to. I'm not interested in the external world and like right, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in politics. I'm not particularly interested in world events and things like that. But the things that I am interested in are internal things. Are internal things, and I'm never not curious about those. Well, maybe that is why we've got these quite thoughtful, melancholic personalities. Then, because you're right when I think. If I break it down to this inside-outside thing... Oh, I reject the outside completely. But then we always have. You know, this is why we're perfect Gnostics and perfect hermits, because Mm -hmm. I'm not really that interested in it. Well... I can be. I'm in, I'm only interested in it in relation to things like fucking art, oh, music, literature, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I don't care if that sounds fucking snobby or... But I, mean, the, I am. The thing is, though, that is, is art and literature are those intrinsically external things because, to me, they are the externalisation yeah. of someone's internal, introverted process. So. so that's why you so can So they're allowed. To We're allowed to like them. Yeah, that's why you relate to them in that mm-hmm. way. They can be quickly absorbed into another melancholic being i think yeah it's they're speaking the same language you know mm-hmm. and i think that it's them that i turn to as well that i get comfort in uh, more in uh, the kind of darkest days so yeah mm-hmm. i suppose when you think of it like that i do retain my kind of appetite for that mm-hmm. you know what i mean and this idea that it's um a kind of way of making uh, everyday reality um bearable mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it interprets it for me in a way that makes a wee bit more sense than the kind of everyday smallness of it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can. We're made for greater things. <laughs> That's fine. Yes. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Right, so we're talking about the, the Nag Hammadi emerged in 1947. Five. 1945, thank you, fact-checking me. And But really kind of hit the public consciousness more, as you were saying, in the 80s. And it kind of shone 
new light on what people had kind of accepted as the what's the word the accepted narrative of Christianity um, mm -hmm. right I got there eventually yes. right so all these other the versions that may have been just as legitimate and just as original they'd been kind of otherized because they didn't fit in with what the the accepted version that was being pushed was so the process of otherization involved describing the Gnostics beliefs as beyond the pale. So some of the ways that these Gnostics were slandered, mm -hmm. vilified, mm -hmm. trolled, <laughs> was that they were said to have practiced cannibalism, for instance. Mm -hmm. So they, therefore they were thus presented as evil. I mean, what do we accuse people of that we want to think of as really evil? Like, you know, in the idea of David Icke's reptilian Monarchy and stuff. It's, it's cannibalism. It's it's killing babies. It's paedophilia. You know, it comes to quite a lot of it. Um, There's last taboos. Yeah, aren't but they? it was kind of picked up in in a lot of anti-Semitism as well, uh -huh. all the way through before the the Second World War. But they put something called the blood libel. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that the kind of Passover bread is made by christian babies blood and all that shit mm -hmm. and so cannibalism seems to be listen even like i think kind of like high victoriana like the idea of kind of tribes and and deepest darkest africa that, oh the savages aye, and yeah I mean, so it seems to be that as soon as you attach that that kind of like taboo mm -hmm. on a, a a group then um it means that they are not human and you can hate them and they are not one of us. It's really interesting, isn't it, that cannibalism seems to be so beyond the pale. It seems to be like one of the last taboos, like as though the worst thing you could do is eat another human being's flesh. I don't think it's that bad. I definitely think. don't think cannibalism is that bad a crime if the person had died and, I don't know, if they'd consented to being eaten or if I... you would, I don't know starving or something but i think it's because it's probably because it's a symbol of... is it inverting the sacrament well that oh yeah there'll be that mm -hmm. but i just think like for kind of that now i am not i don't even know the word somebody that studies cultures uh cultural historian let's just say no. that but the kind of and, oh anthropologist. An anthropologist we got there we meant. got there everybody was shouting it there i know they fucking <laughs> weren't because of thick as mints <laughs> <laughs> But um, I think it, I mean, it's something, again, a symbol, but it's something that shows the absolute end and breakdown of society and civilization. Because if you've not got enough food to feed people and all you can do is feed off the dead, mm -hmm. then it shows that things have reached such a state. I mean, mm. and also the passing on of diseases and all, if you're eating the I dead, guess, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, the taboo, the dietary taboo on it, which mm -hmm. there are there are kind of many in different different cultures anyway the dietary taboo on eating human flesh will be different in different cultures but i think it is it's close to what you were saying about it being associated with savagery uh -huh. of of a like a breakdown of civilization so civilized people do not eat each other no but savages who are amoral mm -hmm. that's a practice that they indulge in whether mm -hmm. it's out of necessity or they just enjoy it well there was all that that myth even within kind of, I think maybe even pre-Victorian, but the, the idea of kind of druids as blood drinking, you know, was that not even, maybe that, maybe was that not an idea maybe put forward by the Romans? 
Mm. I mean, I guess it's just that way of other eyes and always something that's been bandied around to try and and vilify people, isn't it? Even though then, but even we do it to children, like somebody's coming to get you. You know what I mean? Uh But it must be. I wonder why it's even related to that. This idea of a child kind of being consumed. You know what I mean? We do say it to kids. People do say it to kids. Mm Or I'll eat your your toes or all that kind of that kind of crap. It's weird in Spain. Growing up with my Spanish family, something that they would say if they found you to be really cute or mm-hmm. something. I was a cute child. I was an odd child, but, but a cute child. Cute. I was sexy, right? I was so sexy <laughs> that a sexy baby. Sexy baby. Um, something that they say in Spain is "ay que te como." Mm-hmm. So. I could eat you. Aye, but we say that here. Uh-huh. I could eat you up. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, but they say it all the time. And then I was like, what? Do you really want to eat me? Are you really going to like bite a chunk at me or something? But it's like some something is so cute and so nice that you literally want to consume it. It's almost the exact opposite for when you accuse other people of doing that then, eh? Yeah. Because that's, that's I, will, I want to eat you out of love because you're so To be delicious. honest, I would I be know. offended if someone didn't want to eat me. Eat you up. Uh, 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 uh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay, okay. Uh, back to um, the so, Ah, uh, what we're talking about? <laughs> Fuck's sake! Right, so we're talking about cannibalism. So they were accused of practicing cannibalism and presented as evil, unlike normal people in inverted commas. Um, so this furor. Do you pronounce it furor or furore? Furore. Furore. I have to. Well, let's just do it in the Italian way because it's a fucking weird word. Furore. Just uh, words like that. I just put on a, a kind of strange mocking self-mocking um, accent and just ho- roll it about my mouth until it makes a lot of noises. Yeah. <laughs> Macabre. Macabre. Right. Aye, so that <laughs> could be thought of as the narcissism of small differences where an already struggling otherised group you've written etherised. Did oh, you mean to say yeah. etherised? Yeah, made, made like knocked out and, and yeah, with no, of course I didn't. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm fucking going with it. So, <laughs> euthanized group, <laughs> namely one more dominant group of Christians, starts picking off people who don't quite fit with their narrative. Bullies. Funny that. Yeah, it's bullying. That seems to continue. Mm-hmm. It's like the scene from The Life of Brian, where sects quickly form around various interpretations and misinterpretations, and all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. Different schools form around these ideas and texts. Canons are formed. And books like The Secret Book of John and mm-hmm. The Gospel of Judas, that's what yes. you were just talking about. Yeah. Uh, the Gospel of Thomas, The Gospel of Truth. So they're all thrown out. And each group starts calling the other one evil or satanic and say that their claims to the truth are I ended false. Up, I ended up looking in. I'm sure it was The Secret Book of John that I ended up kind of going down a wee rabbit hole with. Right. Uh, and so he was, a, I think it was him that was the one that was converted then. See, things just going one ear and out the fucking other. Beam. You're one in one eye and then out the other. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it was kind of, it was, he had given um, instructions. There's these kind of Jewish mystical ideas called, um, the, was it the Merkaba? I always pronounce it wrong. But that, it's a chariot mm-hmm. in mysticism, right? Right, what's and that? And it's essentially, it's actually related, it's kind of, it's overlaps with Gnostic ideas, that, I suppose, because it's like the, the idea that you could, through prayer and invocation, essentially whip yourself up into a frenzy, right? So that through invoking certain god names and angels and stuff like that, you travel through the ethers <gasps> and meet different um, angels that allow you into different aspects of heaven. Well, I think weirdly, weirdly, 
not that weirdly, but differently within um, Judaism, it's a descent to heaven. Oh. It's the, you, you know, we always think of an ascent, but within the Merkaba texts, uh-huh. uh, it's a descent. So you, you kind of slowly, let's just say ascent, because that's what we're used to, right? You ascend uh-huh. through all these different layers of heaven until you finally get to the throne of God. Now that's interesting because that then makes me think of Jung mm-hmm. and Jung's digging technique. Yeah. Because that is a descent. Yes. You know, that, that guy, that visualisation of you're actually descending into a well almost and you go down the well and then the the ultimate destination is almost like a kind of throne room mm-hmm. and that is your oh, right. your is that in inner self um i think it is possibly in the red book i've done it a couple of times mm-hmm. and just when you were saying there there about the throne and that's you know the the seat of god or yeah. young might call it like the seat of your consciousness or you know i don't know I don't really know, but you can furnish that throne room however you you can, however you visualise it, and you return to it again and again when you repeat the the meditation. uh, Funnily enough, in a lot of kind of mystical traditions, it really is about descent. And the the imagery that's used is about kind of wells. um, Well, it's the upper world and then it's the the lower world. And then with Jung, because it's, it's a well... That's like the water is the kind of liminal space between the upper world, the world of consciousness, and then what is buried, the mm-hmm. subterranean world of the subconscious. Yeah, yeah. most of these um, individual journeys then, mm-hmm. right, spiritual journeys, are really about, well, there is a tradition of the, it being descent. Eh, within, it's travelling inward. Yeah, uh-huh. kind of inwards in a descent. Well, these, with, with the... Um, Merkaba texts, I think that was what was put forward in the secret book of mm. John. Of John, right. Aye, so there was the the gospel that was accepted and there was this other one, right, that was kind of for the initiates only. Ah, you know? right. So, But still, but Judaistic, so maybe they chucked it out for its, its kind of Jewish mystic overtones, I don't know. Possibly, yeah, possibly because it goes against the kind of accepted view about it being ascending into heaven and all that and the fact that the only people that did that were in the old testament like enoch mm-hmm. and later on within catholic kind of mythology the virgin mary and mm-hmm. you know what i mean so mm-hmm. they, they kind of lock off that idea that anybody can do it yeah they're they're, they're gatekeeping it again. again they're making it inaccessible yeah so there was this fella Irenaeus. Irenaeus. I'm going to go with that pronunciation. He's not around to correct me, so it can suck my dick. Um, so he was an early Orthodox Christian, and he writes down many of these Gnostic beliefs and helps us to identify a Gnostic school of thought, specifically the Sethians. So, who were the Sethians, and what did they believe? I'm going to attempt to map out this enormous metaphysical belief system. Good In luck, a few Tom. sentences, I'm good at this shit. <laughs> Right, the Sethians or Setians. Setians? Setians? It's got a hurt. It's got a hurt there. Oh, I always think that's why. I think the Temple of Seth. Stupid enough when I was younger to think it related to Seth. Yeah. So the Sethians. Well, it does though. Oh, no, it's Seth. It's one of the. I think we got onto it, but Seth's one of the children. It's within the Temple of Seth, is he the. A child of um, Adam and Eve. All right, uh-huh, but it all links because obviously then you've got, you know, Seth and Osiris in the Egyptian yeah. tradition. But it's Seth, Seth. It's all the fucking same. Potato, potato. Nobody <laughs> says potato. On you go. The Sethians believed, sorry, in a concept known as the entirety. Right? Now, that's kind of a belief that quite a lot of people 
these days would think of. Hey, that, that kind of thing that unifies everything, the force behind everything. You hear people talking like that all the time. You know, you could probably get away with saying that in AA. So like the universal life force, a higher power, that all pish. That, aye. Okay. I mean, it's not pish because it might be true. I don't fucking know. But but that idea, I suppose, that there was... That a, everything's connected. Yeah, that everything's connected. And would it mean that everything then had a purpose? Or that uh, that everything was crea- that everything's created and that there's a power behind it? So that everything that we see and everything that we experience is created by God and there's an intentionality behind it all. Yeah, although, as we shall see, the, the Gnostics believed that that was ruled over in an aspect of a particular God, so not this thing called the entirety. The entirety is beyond that. Right. Absolutely unknowable. So the way that we've tried to know it and explain it right there does not explain or know it. Right, that is not Gnosis that we are talking about just now. We're just talking about everyday... These are concepts within everyday reality. They're talking about the thing beyond even that. Mm-hmm. So we're limited by our awareness, mm-hmm. but then there's so much beyond that that we can't even comprehend. Aye. Yeah. So that so it that can't be pointed shit. towards. It can't ever be understood. Aye. So um, they believe that this entirety is filled with divine eons, right? A harmonious state or realm with the absolute God at the top, who's known as the One or the Monad, right? Or the Father of the entirety. This God is, just as I said, is absolutely unknowable and complete. In the Gospel of John, it's said to be illimitable, unfathomable, invisible, eternal, unutterable and unnameable. Right, so beyond any way that we can try to reach reach it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, sounds like the usual version of God to me. Yeah. I would say about the way that we, we kind of now, in a kind of modern way, we kind of try to think of God like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We always kind of run out of terms and run out of points for who it is mm. or what it is and then say it's that beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. But it is an int- this, this entirety is an intellect that can think and know and being aware of itself it evolves into aeons, right? Which can, all, um, can almost be thought of as aspects of itself so there's this absolute unknowable thing that knows itself comes to know itself through these aeons these these kind of aspects within this unknowable thing start forming so kind of like <laughs> it's so unfathomable and so unknowable and so vast that i think you're a blank having a brain hemorrhage I'm right thinking now more. see just kind of like you could think of it like... You can almost not describe it because it, it's beyond the capacities of language. Aye. But as a thing beyond that, as it attempts to know itself, Fonzie agrees it's mm-hmm. very complicated, uh, <laughs> coagulate certain kind of similar ideas or concepts coagulate. See, I'm, I can only help thinking of it in terms of like the the spheres in the, tr- in the tree of life within... The, the, Kabbalah. The, aye. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But it's kind of it's beginning to become known to itself, so it's not quite fragmenting, but it's it's um, within itself, knowing aspects of itself, and these are forming as ideas. I would say, right? That's not that's not what they would say, but I'm, that's the only way I can fucking try to describe it's it. Good enough for me, babe. Right? Yeah. And so these these things that form then are God's thoughts, right? Okay. They are both Him and different from Him, as the thoughts are from a thinker. Okay. Yes. Right. So. So yeah, we're beginning to understand it through our terminology and our reason now. But, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. but I suppose that's shown even 
that how we're attempting to move away from the unknown to something that's a wee bit more known. It's the jump within um, the Kabbalah and the tree of life after the ends of the kind of unknowable beyond it. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're now beginning to try to know it through, okay. through its actions. Uh, and these these um, aeons are thought of as beings, right, or lights. The first emanation from this entirety, this unknowable thing, right, is called uh, Barbello. That's okay. the name that's given to it, right? Or it's like a, it can be translated into the idea of, a, of like a forethought. Okay. <laughs> so the thing before thought. A right. forethought? Well, I know what a fucking afterthought is. Yeah. <laughs> Forethought bamboozles me. The what would you, how would you describe what a fucking forethought is? Would forethought be classed as some kind of gut feeling or in instinct or something? Aye. Because it's not something that you're consciously aware of and can consciously name, but you have like almost a feeling about it. I think that kind of idea of that kind of arch uh-huh is probably quite close to what they're pro- that that kind of movement see this idea of movement within nothingness yeah you know what yeah. i mean uh, so this forethought is referred this barbello is referred to as she the perfect power the virgin spirit spirit the universal womb these are all the terms that are given to this barbello and that relates i, I don't know if the don't correct me, all you Kabbalistic theo- and, and Jewish all of, theologians. All of you that listen to this podcast. But there's a term uh-huh. within um, the Kabbalah called the Shekinah. Right? Shakira, Shakira. Shekinah. Right. And it's kind of this um, creative uh, emptiness, right? And it's kind of thought of as the womb. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's a, it's a realm of possibility, potential. Yeah. Possibility. It's, it's like... Again, this is making me think of of alchemy and of Jung yeah. and stuff like that. But then also, that supports my suggestion of forethought as being something like intuition, mm-hmm. because that is a quality that's most associated with the female archetype yeah. mm-hmm. and the anima. Mm-hmm. So maybe they well within the tree of Corus- within the table of correspondences within the Kabbalah. I'm sure we could make these jumps. Let's you know do what it. I mean, because it seemed that, but they're all coming. From, that, that, that hermeticism and, and alchemy is generated. You can, well, not all of it, but a lot of it's coming out of kind of these thought processes at, at, at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so all the other aeons that I was talking about, all these other ideas and things that are that are uh, that start forming within this entirety, mm. all emerge from her. Okay. Right, so she's the that, that kind of instinct and urge and creative potential within the emptiness. Mm-hmm. Everything else comes through through that, mm-hmm. right? After after this 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 um this prince this second principle, right? Uh, and for a Sethian perspective, Christ is the child of the relationship between the Barbello, mm-hmm. right? This female thing. So you could say his virgin mother, right? Mm-hmm. And the monad or invisible spirit, right? Ah. So right. there you go. So he's emerged from that kind of feminine aspect of the unknown god, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 relationship between that and and the unknown god. So mm-hmm. similar in the, the the kind of the way that the, the kind of um, Christians understand the virgin birthday, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So this structure is of course very familiar to us mm-hmm. as both the Trinity itself and the metaphysical family of God, Virgin Mary, and Christ the Child. It also seems to mirror Kabbalistic ideas within Judaism. When an unknowable God withdraws, then rushes forward to fill the space that's created and then splits into different reflections, vessels or expressions. 
So these Sethians were utilising and building on metaphysical structures and ideas that were already out there. To return back to Christ, all other eons emerge from him, particularly four eons that include, how would you say that, Eleleth? Yeah, I think so. Well, for fuck's sake, right? <laughs> that. And then other aspects of God as eons emerge, such as truth, life, wisdom, or Sophia. The latter expression being very important to the Gnostics. Interestingly, to me anyway, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're a Catholic and you get to pick your confirmation name, Aye. mine's is Sophia, because mm. even at that age, you I are. wanted to be guided by the principle of wisdom. By um, Barbello and the, the, the what do you call it? The, the, the eons that, that came through her and then... That was a forethought of mine uh, because I was not consciously aware of well, it at the time. Funnily enough, before I knew any of this, or even half knew any of this, I remember thinking of Sophia... I must have been a weird kid, but I, I've always been aware that the idea of... I mean, as Sophia, even within Christianity, maybe within Greek Orthodox Christianity, it's mm -hmm. thought of as the the kind of... the female aspect of God, eh? Like, a female aspect of God. Definitely a, an God's aspect. God's wisdom. Yeah, as, yeah. But characterised as female. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, this this wisdom, this gnosis, is, is very important to our discussion today. Yeah, it's, it's all linking in. And in the, the secret book of John, Wisdom, or Sophia, wants to create something of her own. She doesn't ask for permission from the monad, from the big dad god, and she gives birth to a misshapen being that stands outside the divine creation. It's the serpent with the face of a lion. Ooh, oh, have you seen that in your, your forties? Cryptids. And a um, mysticism and magic. Yes, aha, uh aha. -huh, uh -huh. It is one of the, the weird little creatures, that kind of symbol. Um, I have seen that. It's often before. kind of discussed as being like the, the shape of a kind of spermatozoa. Aha. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? That kind of like serpent tail with the kind of. Yeah, with the, the lion's, the face of the lion's. And it kind of relates head. to the, um, this kind of mythos, I think. Yeah, you know. yeah. So she's ashamed of this creation. It's it's an abomination. Mm. It's an ugly child. <laughs> and like every ugly child, it must be hidden away from all other aeons. <laughs> and it is given the name... Yaldabaoth. Yaldabaoth, which is a name as ugly as the creature itself. <laughs> he thinks that he is the only divinity and creates an imperfect world, i.e., the world and reality that we know. Mm -hmm. He's a demiurge or craftsman, but not God. And he's sometimes thought of as evil. So that means that the Hebrew Bible is evil. He's not the true God. The material world is a grave mistake that must be fixed because it imprisons the human being. But the human being has a dual nature. He's both physical and spiritual, as the divine realm tricked Yaldaboth to blow his spirit into Adam and his divine spark was blow passed his spirit. on. Blow his spirit. Mm, so. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say next time. And with a man's. Filth. I'll blow your bob and then your spirit. <laughs> um, this meant that the human being could challenge Yaldaboth in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve can give birth to Cain and Abel who are the result of Eve being raped by this false god, and the third son, who we don't normally discuss, mm -hmm. but that's Seth. Yes. Mm. The snake that tempts them isn't Satan, 
but it's a messenger from the monad who tried to help Adam and Eve escape from the locked off Garden of Eden. The Gnostics, as the seed of Seth, Seth's sperm, trace their lineage back to Seth. Okay, These Gnostic Sethians believed that Christ, the historical figure, was a manifestation of the Barbello, but others said that he was a divine eon himself, a saviour sent from the true God to save us from Yaldaboth. I've fucked that up. <laughs> Yaldaboth. Yeah, yeah fuck that's it. Right. Yeah, we're riffing, it's fine. They believed that he didn't have a material body and that he did not suffer on the cross. Yeah. So that is like That's when it goes blasphemy, yeah. isn't it? So if he didn't have a material body, how could he then suffer for us and for all us, that die for our sins, all that push, so right? It starts going nut- well, it this is nut- when it gets heretical. Yeah, well, really with the with the kind of idea that the well, you've got the idea that the creator god is a demiurge evil spit that's bad enough uh-huh. and then you've got all that shit about that raping eve yes all, uh-huh. that, that already you're gonna get cancelled ch- ch- yeah chased with sticks and stones and battered mm-hmm. and then this is the biggie this is the biggie it's like no he did not die because he did not have a physical form mm-hmm. at all um so they're saying that jesus saved mankind by teaching about gnosis of the divine monad and not by suffering on the cross mm-hmm. So there's your Sethians. Wow. They believed this world was evil and turned their back on it. Um, to sum it up, uh, let me quote Gnostic scholar David Brake. So all the things that we've just said. So I mean, it's a lot of information, but isn't it fascinating? Mm-hmm. I love that, and especially the idea that um, that overlap with the idea that the eight of the the kind of the fruit of um, good and evil, or the, from the tree of knowledge. Tree from of knowledge, you know uh-huh. I mean? Yes, there you go. I always kind of want, I mean, I'm a, I was always obsessed with the idea of the fall. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And what the kind of, what the urge would be within a perfect state to, what more would you need to know? You know what I mean? It's like, I, I always, personally, I always, my, my kind of old belief system was always that the, the kind of the fruit represented so there was the kind of knowledge of sex right mm-hmm. but also I remember saying that at primary school and or high school or whatever and everybody going eh and I was like I thought that was kind of quite a I common I thought that that was obvious thing. but also to, so the knowledge of good and evil right so the, uh-huh. so binary kind of knowledge right the difference between this and that between good and evil and all kind of so it's really hammering home that separation between body and spirit as well. You're, yeah. It enforces, or maybe so if they eat it, they're aware of the fact that they're not one with it. So it is. So that's a Gnostic. It's, it's, that's, a, a Gnostic uh-huh. that's a Gnostic It's the separation mm-hmm. of, aha, uh-huh, yeah, it's it's that whole, the becoming conscious of the other mm-hmm. and yeah. of one's and own otherised state. The yeah. separation. The separation for that entirety. Mm-hmm. So it's, you're becoming aware and you're so you're therefore aware that the the that whatever that God is that's telling you, hey guys, everything's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You're kind of aware of the fact. Eh, wait a minute, there's something beyond us. Mm-hmm. Hence, get out my garden. Aye, take the bond, get to fuck. Aye, the party's over. <laughs> so this guy David Brake, right? He says the Gnostics believed that the human intellect could experience gnosis, that is, acquaintance with God within this mortal life, however fleetingly. They portrayed this experience primarily as an ascent to higher knowledge that was both intellectual and cosmic. Intellectually, the Gnostics could ascend by contemplating increasingly abstract levels of existence. So, meditation, eh? Mm-hmm. Really meditating mm-hmm. on certain ideas. 
um, starting by understanding one's own existence and that of other lower divine beings, advancing to the contemplation of higher aeons, ultimately the Barbello, and attempting to gain some uh, imperfect acquaintance with the ineffable first principle, the invisible spirit, right, or that, the entirety. Mm -hmm. Right, so what can we take away from all this shit <laughs> before moving into our theme of today, um, of... of um, the, um, of folk who turned away from everyday reality and became locked off from it and thought it was evil and really are at the birth of all our, our, the hermits that we're going to be looking at and have looked at. We should have really done this episode the as the first Oh, but maybe was I listened to it, but I thought we were fucking cuckoo. Well, we are, but well, we like... we are, but I mean... So, can you see why they thought this world was an evil creation? Of course we can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Look at it. And everything that we see... All that kind of crap, that, that that kind of definition of God is, oh, even although children are born with bone cancer, but there's a divine plan behind it all and all that shit. You uh -huh. know what I mean? You can see why that comes across as bullshit mm -hmm. and as, as one locked off idea mm -hmm. and within a very wicked, evil, bad world of suffering mm. where there's a kind of reality beyond it that we've been sectioned, we've been, that all that crap is kind of in. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of there's a, th a thing beyond that that no wonder this is a, a kind of locked off world of suffering, eh? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it kind of puts up it puts all that and all the justifications that folk find to explain God. It puts that into context. You're like, these are all slaver and pish. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that's that's not what I'm talking about. You you just leave that in a little fucked up. It looks like a little fucked up mess. Uh huh. Good. Uh, but so, what about the idea? But you could I'm just thinking about that that this kind of like attack on the Gnostics as well. Is it another? Is it like another form of anti? No, even the Gnostics. I'm thinking is it another form of anti-Semitism where the Old Testament God of the Jews is seen as a monster? You know what I mean? Possibly. Because yeah. there's that as well. There's definitely that split. Oh, where very much. To, aye. Distance themselves from like the God so of the you, Old Testament. So, aye, but then but there's a char a character. I mean, if you try to, if you look at all the characteristics of the two gods that are that are explained in the the two testaments, it's like. I am a god of war and vengeance, and you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And one that kind of like makes folks sacrifice or attempt to sacrifice their sons, and that create that fucking carries out like mass murder, and you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, purges and, and All things that like kind that. Of thing. and, uh -huh. and then the, that kind of new god that they're trying to kind of like sell. Just preaching the, forgiveness, turning the other cheek, you know, like through Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so there's that. But there are, there are there does definitely there's that whole tradition around if you look at the kind of the birth of what they're calling Yalda both and what you can think of as um, Yahweh or Yod Hey Vav Hey you know what I mean mm -hmm. the Old Testament God and I remember doing a wee bit of research into that the, the original it, it's, it really starts off as a, a a God of of war and desert storms mm. you know what I mean in the very early kind of tribal manifestations of 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 kind of uh, in in the Middle East. Kind that slowly gets tamed and kind of turned into turned into a kind of god that can that becomes kind of wider known. Mm, you know, mm -hmm. you start to see his name beginning to appear, and or, or yeah, there's even kind of early representations. Kind funnily enough, or a chariot, mm. all that kind of thing. Uh, so you forget that the idea. You do forget that the idea of our god in inverted commas, the idea of a kind of like Abrahamic religions god, is just a god. A god. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's got aspects a of depend. It's like almost like different archetypes because I'm interested in how you know we're talking about this 
the the kind of warrior god, the god of war, etc. That's one archetype that must have served a purpose to those who believed in it and bought into it. And then the god that we now associate with like the Christian tradition and that it's more of a paternal, like a father figure. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who's there to offer guidance, maybe a wee bit of judgment, guidance, but also unconditional love and protection and all that stuff. So is it just that the identity of God changes depending on what society feels it lacks or feels that it needs? Yeah, I wonder, and I wonder if I didn't know this at all, but I'm just wondering what how theologians characterise and describe that switch between the Gospels, Mm. yet still retaining the same, inverted commas, one true God, you know what I mean? I wonder how they describe that. I suppose it would be something to do with Christ's um, sacrifice and him beginning to show his love through sending his son and all that kind of thing, but why? Maybe the tough love wasn't working anymore and they had to try a different approach. Because I think even in, in, um, like, any idea in the Old Testament, a... Christ coming, it's always with that. I mean, not Christ, the Messiah coming. Uh-huh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's always, it's not, it's always coming with war, eh? Yeah. And kind of, and and. It's like a reckoning or aye, something. It's, it's never, it's never um, referred to. It's more in line with the, the, the kind of Book of Revelations in the in the new the New Testament, eh? Uh-huh. But anyway, that's there's I suppose there's many better minds than us working on PhDs. Thank <laughs> fuck for that. Thank fuck for that. They can get on with it. So what about the idea that there are, just to kind of sum up this thing so far, what about the idea that there are separate strands of secret knowledge that run parallel and secretly counter to dominant religions? I mean, that we kind of take that as a kind of... Take that as a given. Aye. I mean, and it's it's there, in, obviously, in all that in, in popular culture, uh, but it relates to the kind of ongoing mystery schools and all that. There's mm-hmm. obviously breaks within them and they try to restart different kind of aspects of them, but it's there within all the kind of magical and mystical kind of schools that mm-hmm. are still kind of out there in the world try to run counter to the kind of dominant religious beliefs eh? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's not that's your gnosticism for the for um beginning to be involved and be at the root of that as well so does mysticism christian mysticism do this I mean, we were wondering that too i think it does eh? yeah it's absolutely. A, it's counter to the kind of dominant kind of church really uh-huh and uh you've got people you've got figures like like joan of Arc, like like i mentioned earlier and what about the role of the female or feminine aspect and god god and all this you know it's interesting that there's still a binary that there's still a idea of like the monad being the the masculine and that being like related to, but defined from, separate from the barbello, which is Aye. the the feminine. Mm-hmm. So they're still they're still gendering this mm-hmm. unfathomable, unknowable entirety. Yeah. This thing, it's it's kind of strange, isn't it? As well, especially if you think about the Old Testament and and the original Hebrew, there's names of God that are that are female. You know what I mean? It's like the female aspect. Of, so they're, they're, they're kind of blended through. Uh-huh. There's, there's yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there's, there's, there's four or five different names for God. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Within the Old Testament, some of them are female. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I think even in Genesis, I think it's the creative, the female creative power of God moving over the kind of, the um, firmament and all that, which mm-hmm. we, you lose in translation when you just write the word God. 
Yeah. So there is there is a kind of feminine aspect to God within the Old Testament that you lose through translation and by the time you get to the, the New Testament, eh? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Can. I suppose they've tried to supplement it with the Virgin Mary. But it's, yeah, but it's not saying that female itself is divine. She's more like a character mm-hmm. who has a divine role to play. Aye, and any attempt to t- make her divine is seen as problematic. Mm-hmm. Like she's divine up to a point. Aye. She's holy, yeah, uh-huh. she's a holy vessel, but is she intrinsically divine and sacred on the same level as God? As God. Now, so shall we move on to um, more modern manifestations of Gnosticism and particularly how this all these ideas relate to the Cathars? Yeah, so who, who are the Cathars then? Let me tell you. Go on, Recent research poo-poos the idea that the Cathars, as a unified group of believers, even existed. But this kind of retelling or reframing of a certain group of people or a period of time is not unusual. I suppose it was an attempt to dismiss the various conspiracy theorist claims that led to the sort of bullshit people um, take as gospel and Dan Brown and all that crap. You know, but I mean, Mm. the idea that there's a tradition that runs parallel to Catholicism, a lineage of initiated Gnostics that somehow gets spliced with various grail traditions uh, and as evidenced in various artworks, all that, that kind of shite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole Priory of Sion. Priory of Sion, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh So, these modern sceptics argue that we cannot draw a straight line from the early Sethians and Valentinians, etc., these early, early, early Gnostics, uh, who were at the birth of Christianity, can't draw a straight line from them to the group of heretical believers in France and Italy, they say. So these kind of more modern sceptics, previous to them, kind of tried to, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, They say that we cannot say that there was a large body of people known as Cathars with a hierarchical, um, with a hierarchy and power structure that could be thought of as a religion. So they don't want to give it a... a, a So they're not even classing that as being religion? They're not giving it a a certain... they only say it's got certain kind of separate beliefs or dogma or anything like that. So they don't want anything to do with that. But um, even from a from an even more sceptical position, they still st- um, they state that the term Cathar was not used at the time uh, by these heretics in the Languedoc, etc. Um, there were people known as Bonnie Hominy. Bonnie right? Hominy. Bonnie Hominy or mm. Perfecti. That's how they referred to themselves, right? Uh, that did, Same. We have perfected that did hold beliefs that were counter to that of Roman Catholicism. So there were, there, there wasn't people, but there was. They weren't called that, but they were called this. That shit. Right. Like, okay. You know what I mean? So what were those beliefs? Well, that celibacy was a good thing. Yes, even for Catholic priests and the princes of the church who mm-hmm. were all hermesters at the time, and there was no kind of major enforcement of celibacy, um, like up to what the last thousand years. Right, really? Yeah. Well, they were supposed to. You know what Aye. I mean? But like, it wasn't kind of like as... as uh, they wouldn't get in trouble if they didn't, eh? No. Right. And even, I mean, but look at the kind of state of the Pope's up to the kind of... Um, true, like true. 16th century. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. They believed that, cel- that these Gnostics, these Cathars, believed that celibacy was a good thing, that women and girls could also be perfecti. Eh? Okay, that's nice. That poverty was godly. Yes. That they dis- they distanced themselves from the God of the Old Testament, like we had said, that was similar to the early Gnostics, right? But let's move away from the limitations of this rereading of Catharism and look at it historically. Okay. Right? So there's enormous amounts of historical evidence from this time that lets us know who these people were and shows us how they too thought the material world was evil and wanted out of it. Same. So... 
again talking about um withdrawing from the world of the flesh by you know following celibacy withdrawing from the world of material things by choosing um poverty, poverty all this kind of stuff stuff that you know we can see nuns monks etc nowadays still trying to stick to um there's historical documents castles papal bulls and evidence of cathar bishops in this area and there's also one copy just one serving copy of the book of the two principles which is a cathar text from roughly 1240 probably written by john of lugio that describes the cosmology, philosophy, theology, and beliefs of the Cathars. And we can't forget the Al... Right, you just want me to oh, read this Oh, fuck, I'm reading the heart. The Albigensian... Oh, right there. Albigensian Crusade. Albigensian, right. And we can't forget the Albigensian <laughs> can, Crusade. We can't, can we? We can't forget. I mean, we can't pronounce can, it. I mean, we can't pronounce it, but can you forget <laughs> no. the Albigensian Crusade? Well, I, I wouldn't now. No, 1226, hell of a year. Right? And that was where thousands of heretics that we now call Cathars were murdered in various locations across the Languedoc region. At the siege of Beziers, the papal captains asked the papal representative, Arnaud Almeric, how will we know the heretics from the Catholics? His response being, kill them all. <laughs> the Lord knows who are his own. Such a drama. Do you know, see one, that quote? Kill them all. Kill them all. Well, you see it all the time, eh? Aye. Mm-hmm. Just fucking kill them, and then if they are the chosen ones, they'll be fine, they'll go to heaven and that, but just to be safe, we'll just kill them, them all. all. Kill them all. He agrees. Aye, that's what Fonzie's like. I kill, kill them, all. them all. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> so that meant that an estimated 14 to 20,000 men, women and children were killed. Fuck it. Carcassonne fell next, but the people in the city, which was full of refugees from the surrounding areas, they were not killed, but they were forced to leave the city naked. I'm fine with that. I love my body. <laughs> my body's a temple. My body's a temple. It's beautiful. And I'm an exhibitionist. So if someone says to me... <laughs> You'd leave doing the fucking can-can. I literally would. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd leave twerking. <laughs> I'd leave the city of Carcassonne twerking, exactly, and give them the finger, that's fine. Um, And then there's battles at Latour and Cabaret, where the perfecti, when captured, were forced to accept Orthodox Christianity or be put to death. There wasn't a third option, which was to just twerk naked out of the city. Didn't let them do that. To dance for your life. (laughs) (laughs) Lip sync Uh for your life. 140 refused, and some of them walked or twerked into the flames. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will laugh at It's funny. Um, as the crusade continues through various villages and towns, it's apparent that this has also simply become a messy grab for land. That's a fucking surprise. Yeah. With the cathos just being used as collateral damage and justification. This would be followed by the first wave of the Inquisition, fronted by the Dominicans, brought in by the Pope to sort out the mess and almost to restore order, as well as to oppress and stamp out any heretical Cathar beliefs. See, there is that belief, really, that, you know, you want to kind of... The, the Pope, the, was it Innocent the Third, or was this a wee bit later, uh, was, like, a right baddie and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But really what, what kind of um, the kind of documents are kind of showing mm-hmm. is that um, he was kind of going... 
all fucking hell is breaking loose here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Let's try and put some order on it and calm this down because folk are just running about stabbing whoever they don't like. Yeah. You know, so th- this kind of beginning of the Inquisition is always kind of seen, usually seen as kind of like, oh my God, a kind of a, a, a evil papal force coming in mm-hmm. to, to kind of kill all these folk with different ideas. But really, that had already been happening mm-hmm. and it was an attempt to stop it was an attempt, some say, to stop the massacre. You know? Aye. So we will look at some of these Cathar beliefs in detail. We already mentioned that they believed uh, the world was evil and ruled by a demiurge, and they thought Christ was not mortal, he was not God-made flesh. Mm-hmm. They therefore rejected the idea of the Eucharist and baptism was um, um, with water to purify sin because these are of the world. Right. You know what I mean? They were peaceful and refused to kill animals, and did not see the Pope as embodying Christ on earth. I mean, if that's not going to get you I mean, you that killed, sounds reasonable, mm-hmm. but yeah. Then that's, yeah, that's your twerking into the flames. <laughs> now, at this time, common p- people wouldn't know if they were heretics or not. Now, you're hundreds of miles away from Rome. You're illiterate, probably. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're not, you're, but your belief, you maybe only have to go to Mass once a year. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh, they weren't expected to take part in, in in the mass. I mean, this is when everybody's got their back to you, remember, doing it all for you. Yeah. You have no fucking any idea what the fine kind of like details of theology are. No, you're, you're you kept I mean? ignorant. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they rarely saw a priest or a bishop and they were not expected to take part in the mass. As I say, it was only later that they were forced to confess and take the host at least once a year. Right? So this is just really, it's still at the beginning of the organised church. Yeah. Uh, they're very poor people, hundreds of miles away from the centre of Orthodox Christianity, who were ministered um, by the Cathar Perfecti. So they've got folk on the ground that are trying to do, I suppose, God's work, in inverted mm. commas, mm-hmm. uh, in quite simple ways. One of the, these ways being what they call the consolamentum, right? Which was a laying on of hands. I, say, I mean, do they not still do... That's, that's still one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit within Catholicism, eh? Yeah. I don't know if it's called the consolamentum. Anyway, which was a laying on of hands that could be performed just before death. So this is this is just this is saved for that, so uh-huh. for the dying. So I suppose it's like last the last rites, yeah. But their version of it, un kind of like um, prescribed by the the Orthodox Church. So this is done by the perfecti. Mm-hmm. It was a process that involved the forgiveness of sins and preparing the soul for unity with the true Godhead mm-hmm. that we've been speaking about, right? So for the perfecti, this process was almost like, it could it could be done at the moment of death, but they also did it as a, a, a transmission of power between each other, right? Mm-hmm. So it could also be done as a way of passing on the lineage mm-hmm. of the, the Cathar beliefs, right? And they would become, um, and these people, and they did do this in life with people that weren't on the deathbed, these people would become celibate, not eat meat, and would dedicate their life to the, to the Cathar doctrines, right? So, where does that leave us? Well, we can say that there has been, or is, a parallel Christian or pseudo-Catholic set of beliefs and ideas that appears and disappears throughout history. And we could maybe even say that the modern mystic or hermit who turns away from the external teachings of the church keeps this tradition alive. We have an Exoteric. Oh, so, an, like, I out- thought that was a typo. <laughs> right, I'll see There's that. no red line under it. Right, okay. We have an exoteric teaching in religion and a hidden or esoteric set of teachings within Christian mysticism. 
The mystical tradition can be characterised by the lone wolf mystic, forming an individual personal relationship with the unknowable God. And many traditions, both Christian and not, have terms for how you can become one with, or at least come face to face, with this power. There's the idea of Devkut in Judaism, Gnosis in this tradition, and we also have the highest forms of Samadhi in Buddhism, where you essentially realise, become one with fundamental reality, a form of aesthetic Gnosis, if you will. This tradition accepts both male and female practitioners and does seem to involve a turning away from the physical world. Within Christianity, we find nuns and monks who enter the contemplative life and are in closed orders, or figures who become practitioners who are totally their own out in the wilds. There are modern day organized mystical schools that can channel this current, whether that be the Rosicrucians or various Gnostic churches, many of which claim to be lineage holders of past traditions, or at least holders of the apostolic succession from certain systems. So if you think that the world is a bad place, and there must be something behind all this shit, you are not alone. Just try and not go down the route of shape-shifting lizards and glo global banking conspiracies. These would merely be the nonsensical traps of the demi-urge. Transcend that shit. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Right. So if you have any... I'm sure that you've, been, you've got a notepad in hand yes. and a little chewed pencil... Mm. writing down questions, getting ready to send them all in, and we're not going to be able to answer. No, we will. Well, I became a temporary expert when I was when I was looking into that for us. Oh, that's good. You know, uh -huh. one of them that I could, I could have went in and, and probably did no, no bad in an exam and then uh -huh. forgot it in the pub after it. That's the, that's the thing that I like about doing the podcast as well, because sometimes it'll be a subject that I know a wee bit about Aye. or a lot about, but I find end up finding out loads and loads of stuff that I didn't know when I'm researching it. And I know that Gnosticism is is a particular interest yeah. of yours, so you already have like a really good kind of foundation for that. But then you, you just find yourself like getting really, really into. Well, it helped me kind of understand kind of more contemporary Gnostic beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. That are kind of watered down a bit in certain kind of magical and mystical schools. It I'm getting kind of, raped by your know, dog. Fonzie has decided to stand... Mount me. Mount, well, mount me. Get a oh, goat style. Just don't shove him off me. Get no. in. Oh, now he thinks it's a game. <laughs> Is it a game now? Yeah. It's a fucking game Just for me. Just watch your big earrings. This is a oh, went for them straight away. I could read his I mind. Fonzie. his penis. <gasps> Touched your penis. Oh, he's one. He's one of the perfecti. Oh. You've not to go near it. But um, yeah. <laughs> so it helped me kind of understand. Just see load, loads of kind of overlaps with loads of other traditions that uh -huh. could, you know, and help me understand uh, a wee bit more about kind of like contemporary kind of manifestations of these beliefs. Mm. I, I'm still fucking fascinated by the fact that it became like bastardised and became like the way that people think about the matrix you know what I mean yeah I was gonna say there was a couple of points in which I was gonna you know reference that whole like blue pill red pill thing but then the problem with me right is I couldn't be one of these conspiracy theory cunts because 
like I don't know my right from my left. <laughs> if I'm given the choice between two things, I can never remember which is which. Uh-huh. So I don't know what the blue pill does and what the red pill does. And is well, there a black pill and all? I think you take both, don't you? I don't know. Well, I would. I can't remember. I watched The Matrix when I was 14 and I'd been hitting a bong. They so don't. I actually can't even remember well, what happens in it's it. It's essentially that same shit that this is... I know I all suppose, the Trump cunts talk ah, about blue pill and red pill, but, but I don't know what it means. Well, they're talk, I suppose they're talking about the idea that, that... Well, there's that overlap, because there's the other, the kind of more left-wing kind of conspiracy... If there is such a thing. Uh, left-wing conspiracy theorists, which I, I suppose there is. The idea that uh, it's a kind of evil capitalist kind of system overrun by when it starts getting nuts, shape-shifting lizards and all that. Yeah. And then it becomes anti-Semitic on the left and right, eh? Mm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But that, I, which is when we've brought up some of these very difficult themes within what we were talking about. So the roots of it are all in this. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of, it's ongoing. It's just different manifestations, Aye. isn't it? But um, the idea that, uh, and they believe, and you hear, you hear about it as well, the idea of there kind of being archons. Now, what about an arch? I think an archon would be something like the idea of money, you know, capital, right? I right, kinda... hold up. What mm-hmm. the fuck's an archon? Well, kind of like somebody that uh, is acting on behalf of this evil god. Right, so like an acolyte or a, a representative or something Aye, like more that. more like a kind of spiritual energy. You know what I mean? Like a right. force for evil. Oh, so when you're talking about like money, for instance. Aye. So that yeah. could be like archonic, right? That's that's kind of the idea, oh. capital, the idea of mm-hmm. kind of money. And I think that's, I mean, that's, dis- that's described and spoken about by loads of kind of folk that are looking at modern Gnostic beliefs mm. or Gnostic beliefs and how they kind of fit into a kind of modern world, you know? Mm, the idea mm-hmm. of, um, what's the name of the... Um, I always forget the name of the gods for mon- that's mentioned for money in, I think, the Old Testament. But anyway, right, mm-hmm. all those kind of... Ar- archetypes, like the term that you yeah, yeah. these archetypal forms and beings and aspects. energies uh-huh, yeah. kind of, that you could say are kind of archonic, that are aspects of the, this kind of deluding and deluded um, god that we kind of live under the power of. Mm-hmm. Or, or things that people treat as gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can. So there's that. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it, but I'm guessing all that literature is going to be a lot of gobbled. Well, this kind of, there's no go- this is interesting to me, but like, I'm guessing if you start picking it, and, I'd like a critical take on it, try to understand I would these Gnostic like ideas come in. Gnosticism for dummies. That would if be If that for dummies series has done a, a one about that, it will be. There's everything for dummies. I'm I'd a dummy. Like a, I'd like a modern one about kind of modern Gnostic, um, modern Gnostic ideas for dummies as well. Yeah. You know, but I'm sure it would start becoming racist in that at one point. You know, um, I don't know if anybody, there must be folk that have got a kind of more critical, wider perspective on it that have mm-hmm. got an agenda. You know? Yeah, you'd hope. But, eh. Uh, you never know. So next week, speaking of people with an agenda, uh-huh. <laughs> what are we going to do? I'm telling you right now, no, I don't know. We could do this if you want. What? Are you fancying Sister Wendy? Sister Wendy for the next subject of the podcast? Yeah. We could do, do you Her know? And, maybe we could do a couple of different people. I was going to say, why don't we, for the we've next done one... Maybe we've done religion. Right. I, right? Well, we can see what the response is. To this, I mean, I personally don't like myself to be swayed or influenced by people's reactions no. and responses. 
This is a way of just saying I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks because I'll do what I want anyway. And it's got to be what keeps us interested. Aye, as long as I'm happy and you're happy, mm. this is... I don't care. Mm. Um, we could do we could do an episode where we just pick a handful of spiritual or religious hermits, both historical and more contemporaneous, and just do like, I don't know... A little yeah. pick and mix of that. Let's do that. We'll do you fancy pick, that? Pick I'll pick, I'll a, pick few. a few, you pick a few. And some we'll sexy ones, some funny ones. Sexy, some... funny, shy, whatever, serious. Because um, we could do Sister Wendy, that's a good one. We talked a little bit about Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. But then they have to also be hermits, right? And Joan of Arc Aye. was near hermit. No, so we could do... So can he do her? Um, who was I thinking of when you said... Well, um, bloody Julian of Norwich. Aye. We do like a we anchorite all the folk thing, anchoresses. Uh huh. And then we could we could also pick a few of um, other spiritual traditions. No, it has to, to just be, be white Catholic, folk, white Catholic, just white Catholic. That's <laughs> all I care about. No, I mean yeah, whatever. Well, so shall shall we begin with that? We'll pick a few and 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 hit you with um, some medieval facts. And the <laughs> next time you you tune in and listen to we hate you from Alex and the glorious. Alexandra. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> now you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. No, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. No, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. No, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. Oh, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. Oh, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it.